Welcome to Orange is the New Cast, the officially unofficial podcast for Netflix's Orange is the New Black television series. I'm your host, Aaron, and joining me this week is... Aloha, this is Pete Imani. Thanks for joining us uh, once again. We'll be talking about the eighth episode of season two, Appropriately Sized Pots. It was directed by Daisy Vaughn Schurler Mayer, I think is how you pronounce her name, who has got lots of television experience, including Chuck... Mad Men, Nurse Jackie, Shameless, and of course, uh, Orange is the New Black. You mentioned uh, she got a few episodes, or at least one, of Halt and Catch Fire. Yes, at least one for Halt and Catch Fire, and I don't know how many of our listeners watch that show, but it seems like it's sort of hot and cold. Yeah, that's my relationship. I've gotten a lot of feedback in just the last week saying that this last episode was crazy-go-nuts. I listened to Seppenwell's podcast, and he and Dan were talking about how they kind of are more reinvested in the show now. So it's like, damn it, I'm going to have to go back and catch up. There's nothing for it. <laughs> yeah, you've been forced to do it. Exactly. But she's so she's got a lot of experience in the dramedy um, genre, like Chuck, and also the serious stuff like Mad Men. Uh, she's directing an episode written by Alex uh, Regnery and Hartley Voss, which you mentioned Hartley was the script coordinator for the show. Right. I always look up the writers and directors after I watch the show. Mm-hmm. Can I just apologize for my voice to everybody before we keep going? Sure. Um, Jim and I just spent the last four days at Comic-Con, mm-hmm. and and so I'm a bit spent, and uh, there was a lot of elevated speaking during right. Comic-Con because there's so many crowds, and there's a lot of folks out there, and um, I was also lucky enough to get a press pass and attend a couple of events with some people that you may have heard of, Greg Nicotero being one, mm-hmm. and uh, Norman Reedus being the other. So it's sort of um, talking to a lot of press folks and, and just sort of wore my voice out. So I'm also speaking to you via cell phone versus Skype. So I don't know if the listeners will notice any of that, but I just want to apologize if I sound a little bit scratchy. Um, you are going to be writing, and a lot of that's uh, some Walking Dead type experiences, but you're going to doing, be doing some San Diego Comic-Con write-ups on your blog. you want to plug that for us? Sure. Um, my blog is not purely entertainment-based, but it's called DiversityNerd at WordPress.com, and I really just talk about my entire life. So there will be things about The Walking Dead, of course. Uh, there will also be things about being a woman my age and being an Asian person in this country. So if anyone's interested in learning more about me, uh, my job by trade is by day, I should say. I am the director of diversity at a large financial services company that will rename, remain nameless. Uh, so I just like to talk about my life from time to time. So diversitynerd.wordpress.com. All right. Check that out if you want to know more. Uh, let's talk about what we thought about this episode, Appropriate Size Pots. Uh, I liked it. I loved getting the backstory from Miss Rosa, who went from just kind of generic wallpaper background character to three-dimensional in living color. Uh, what was your general impression? Sure. My first impression of this episode was that I hated it. it <laughs> I remember my- <laughs> I remember you saying that on the – we have like this host-only Facebook thread uh, where we can all kind of like talk about it in near real time. And you said, oh, God, I got episode eight and I kind of hate it. Have you have you learned to stop worrying and love the episode? <laughs> oh, yeah, like acting class, they tell you to find the love in the scene. <laughs> um, that's really what they do. I actually, the second time I watched it, I did not hate it, but I did realize what I didn't like about it. Uh, I, I love Miss Rosa's backstory, and I liked it a lot the first time around, but there was some other stuff in the show that I didn't like. 
Um, and I was wondering if part of it is because the, the writers were rookies. Mm. You know, we, we kind of skipped over that, but one of the writers is, I think, their very first IMDb credit as a writer. The Alex the writer, Right. The second writer was actually the script coordinator on the show. Um, so that person obviously sees all the scripts that come through. So that may be a good thing, but I'm just wondering if maybe part of that was bugging me in terms of story flow or characters. I don't think it was the directing because um, that director is such a veteran, but we'll right. see. All right. Talk through it a little, maybe. All right. Well, when you get to the point where it started bugging you, make sure you uh, you speak out because I, I would love to dig more into that. Uh, sure. Let's get right into the story proper. Um, we we see that Healy is counseling uh, Miss Rosa, and he's explaining that a doctor recommends a surgery that the DOC is not going to pay for. Uh, what did you think of this scene? I I felt really sorry for Healy in this scene. You know. Th- thing about Rosa, to date, all we saw, all we've seen with her is really this hard, bitter woman who's going through her um, ovarian cancer treatments and just always has a snide remark for everybody. Sure. And so her reaction was like, well, fuck, they're just going to let me die, right? I mean, it was really sad, I think. No, that's the... That's the truth of it. And it's one. Yeah. I mean, that's something that we've been talking about the last few weeks as this show starts to get a little bit more real than it's been before is that it does a very good job at, you know, Healy is kind of a despicable character and he does. He's he's a homophobe. Um, he's complicit in letting a one prisoner beat the shit out of another. Uh, there's just lots of problems with his character. But you do get the hint that. First of all, he's kind of delusional about how good of a guy he is, and also that he tries. And at one point, maybe he's even he even tried harder, but he's kind of been beat down by this shitty system. Yeah, and that's an amazing kind of tight walk r- job that they walk as of making us relate to you know characters that we've kind of found despicable, like Healy and Caputo. Right, and I think with all of the characters, if you think about it, the core of everything is they're all trying to be loved and accepted. Right. Everybody. Healy, Caputo, all of the women. Uh, and so I think I felt a little sorry for Healy as he was delivering this news. Right. And I feel like he's sort of searching for getting acceptance, finding love. You know, he doesn't have it at home. Sure. All the prisoners hate him. And so I did feel sorry for him. And I and I just thought, gosh, what's Rosa going to do? I mean, she just looks completely just done. She's like, I, you know, just kill me now, basically, is what she looked like. I mean, having cancer sucks period but if you go in prison at a very you spent your life your most of your adult life in prison and now you're going to die of this that's pretty horrible and right i feel like that the more i watch the show the more i realize that there aren't really any villains other than the correctional system in the united states that's the the central villain of the series yeah that's a really good point definitely I mean, even like, you know, last episode, Figaro, we found out that the re- one of the reasons she's siphoning money out of the prison is because she wants to get big picture, like, you know, correctional reform and justice reform and things like that to kind of attack the root of the problem. Clearly, she's lost her way a bit, but all these people seem to have fairly noble attentions that they're using to pave their highway to hell. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we got Healy here. He's he's pronounced useless. Um, and we have this, this kind of triggers a flashback to Rose's first bank job, uh, which yeah. she kind of, uh, uh, teased a little bit in an earlier episode talking to her teenage shit pot. 
uh, <laughs> and introduced the concept of the kiss before to kiss after. And I thought that this turned into a really stylish period crime drama that they did really well. What did you think of uh, this flashback? Yeah, I loved the, uh, you know, seeing the costuming and her hairstyle. And you know what's really interesting is that young Rosa looks a lot like Miss Rosa. Did you notice that? I thought they did a good job of casting the yeah. younger actress. The only thing that threw me is I always assumed Miss Rosa was some sort of Slavic woman. You know, because she no, I thought I feel like she she's she speaks more of uh plotting big trouble for moose and squirrel than she does, you know, uh Latina. And seeing that originally yeah. kind of threw me, but I guess I might be the only one that thought that. Yeah, I well, when you say Rosa, I think Latina. Sure. Uh, but, you know, who knows? Your perspective is very different on it. But did you notice? I don't know if you noticed. I thought that young Rosa sounded like Tony Montana from um, Scarface. Pretty Cuban, yeah. Yeah. So I was thinking maybe as as Miss Rosa moved into prison, maybe her voice, you know, has gotten deeper. First of all, she's sick. Right. She's going through treatment. It's wearing on your body. It's wearing on everything. So maybe that's why her voice kind of came down to register. But as she was young, she was sort of very hyper and sure. and uh, very passionate. Uh, yeah, it's like if you took that character and drained all of her passion and energy, then you've got the elder Miss Rosa. So I guess mm-hmm. that that does work. And I don't I don't really know how old Miss Rosa is because, uh, you know, a, a big a big tell for female characters is their hair. Are they growing gray? What it kind of looks like? No. And with her being bald, I would believe that she's. Uh, early 40s to mid 60s. I have no idea how old this woman yeah. is. And she's on chemo right. to boot. Yeah, I was trying to figure out how many years she would get for bank robbery. It seems like she's been in there for at least 20 years. Yeah, and I, I, I so could you get a good handle on the period? I was thinking early 80s to late 70s on when they were showing the cars and the way they were dressing. And all. Did you have any insight on that? I definitely was feeling early 80s based okay. on the vehicles. Right. Um, and the sunglasses. And P.S., okay, so the first bank robbery, they go in not wearing wigs, not wearing costumes, just wearing sunglasses. Yeah, it works It works for uh, Robin and uh, Superman, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you – so the, the, the irony of this scene – is she goes to kill the guard and she's got an unloaded pistol. And the way the mm-hmm. timing of the scene works out, if she'd unloaded in that guard's face, uh, I forget the, the Marco, Marco would not have gotten shot because the, the, uh, guard does not start shooting until after she starts, you know, pulling the trigger on him. Um, so Rosa can t- takes us for a curse, but it seems like that the, the root, you know, if the root cause of failure, if you can talk about a, botched bank robbery and the fact that a guard lived instead of dying was the fact that he didn't trust Rosa to, to handle herself with this weapon. Right. He wouldn't trust a girl with a loaded weapon. Right. Right. He Uh, says guns are peligrosa. You know, they're dangerous. (laughs) Exactly. Um, but I thought that was kind of ironic that the, the curse if anything was, uh, some, uh, um, what do you call that? When they get show some, some chauvinism, (laughs) It, yeah, so maybe the the lesson learned is trust your woman. I get, but then again, this, this poor guard had been shot and dead, and the two bank robbers yeah. lived. So it's one of those like, eh, you know, was it really a mistake? So better, better the bad guy than the good guy, right? 
Um, the next scene is Caputo snooping around in Red's greenhouse. Uh, some entertaining repartee about the bitch vegetables versus broccoli. Broccoli is a nice strong vegetable. Uh, that sends Red scrambling with their contraband. Is there anything else that we want to talk about other than at this point, Caputo is completely a babe in the woods as far as Red's operation, not even on his radar. Yes, and I think your point about him being a babe in the woods is uh, is interesting because if you watch Caputo throughout the episode, his emotions mm. go through a bit of a roller coaster. So here he sort of walks in and he's he's somewhat apologetic and trying to work with Red and right. and having a conversation and and Red you can see it in her like she's so good at acting I mean you sure. see every emotion in her eyes and so she's like getting a little panicked and trying to stay cool but inside you can feel it like you can almost feel her armpit sweating underneath her uh, <laughs> right right uh, so yeah I just thought it was interesting that Caputo got so close to finding some contraband and so Red is like crap I gotta make I gotta make a change here. Too close. Yeah, in fact, if this was a straight-up drama, I probably would have called bullshit by the fact that, you know, she's kind of <laughs> mugging and sweating, and I, I, and he is completely oblivious. But the fact that this is a comedy on the face of it lets it, I don't know, critically gets a little bit more leeway because I'm like, yeah, you know, there some of this mugging is for kind of laughs and, and for our amusement yeah. rather than um, – and the fact that Caputo is kind of, uh, you know, a bumbling dude uh, makes makes – everything kind of works. So I didn't have a big problem with that. Yeah. I mean, Caputo is, is completely self-absorbed as, as are most of the characters on the show. So he's not noticing what's happening with red. Right. Um, I think he's sort of filing it away subconsciously in his brain, but he's not noticing it at the moment. What's like about Soso in the laundry. She's trying to find joy and serenity in her work, but the problem is she stinks. The girl's not showering. <laughs> Uh, it's pretty bad when Pensatucky calls you on your personal hygiene. What is going? What What is going on with her and this uh, shower strike or whatever she's doing? Yeah, you know, so so is being so crunchy granola about everything. You know, she talks about the beauty and the satisfaction and washing clothes, and it's sort of a very zen thing to do. Right. Um, she's she's channeling her energy into trying to see things as very positive. When inside, I think she's miserable and scared and. And so she's managing that emotion that way. Mm. I really liked the way that Leanne and Angie were trying so subtly to tell her that she smells really so, so smells so, so bad. You know? Yeah. They're like, Hey, they're looking at, they're side-eyeing so, 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 but talking to each other. Oh, did you hear about that new powder fresh scent deodorant in commissary? <laughs> right. Right. And, and I think I'm going to check that out. It was like one of those cheesy commercials from back in the day. Indeed. And so, so yeah. is not playing a lot. She's like, you guys, deodorant is so bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> nice I, affect, Aaron. I like that. <laughs> I also think that it was a good way to show the continuing uh, struggle, the power struggle between Tucky and Leanne that, you know, Tucky's trying to continue – uh, the old world order, I guess, of the laundry mm-hmm. room, yeah. and Leanne and uh, her compatriots are trying to fight and make it, you know, something where everyone kind of gets along. And it right. was yeah. just that one moment, but it was a nice, nice touchstone to that ongoing plot. Right, Pennsylvania's still living, you know, pre-teeth when she ruled, um, and Leanne is just over. She's like, get over yourself, basically. Yeah, um, I did like the line. You smell like a fucking turtle tank. Go take a shower. 
<laughs> As a man who has had turtles in his past, that is a uh, horrifying and probably accurate description of a, a woman yeah. that hasn't taken a shower in a few weeks. Very choice description for stank. Yeah, turtle tank stank. Turtle tank. Turtle tank stank, baby. <laughs> Speaking of uh, stanky, disgusting things, the Golden Girls are talking about the time that they had to forcibly uh, make Jimmy take a shower uh, and the strange things that grow grow in the folds. Oh, God. yeah that that that's that's a little <laughs> much. Um, but it's again this kind of the a footnote to the sad story we saw in the last episode that Jimmy's basically being thrown out on the street. Uh, this dump and run compassionate release business, and no one gives a shit. Um, but we found out it was another way to kind of give a little bit of more texture to Piper's grandmother, because at the end we find out as she's bragging on her grandma, Healy comes up and says, "You've got your furlough." Um, mm-hmm. What? So what? What is the character that we're kind of what? What? What are you getting as far as a visual picture of Piper's grandma? Well, I, I made a note about how concept of compassionate release um, with Jimmy and then juxtaposed with Piper's grandma being very ill outside as sort of this commentary about how we view the elderly in this uh, country. And right. I, think we've, I think we've all kind of talked about that a bit. Piper's grandmother sounds like a real pistol, right? I mean, sure. we talk about how Piper's bragging about how smart she was and she says, you know, you don't really need a man. Um, grandma figured out how to work the stock market and made a lot of money. And so she was sort of self-sufficient. And I thought, that's great you know, to show this strong woman and Piper respects her grandmother um, and trying to establish how much she really loves this woman so that people around her understand why she wants furlough to say goodbye, basically. It's almost hard to believe that Piper's mom or dad, I'm not sure which one, the, if it's the paternal grandmother or grandmother or the maternal one, but it's hard to believe that uh, they came from this woman. Yeah, my gut tells me it's the mom. I don't know why, but um, yeah, no, yeah, I, I kind of I, I, that was my assumption. But then I started thinking about. It. I'm like, wait, I have nothing really to base that on. I don't remember the conversation yeah. they had about their father's affair and all that stuff. I have, I have some. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I think that they are the socioeconomic level that they are. The parents would, the mother would call grandmother by her first name if it wasn't her mom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just feel like. I mean, I have no truth in that other than just my opinion, but I just feel like my my gut tells me that it's maternal grandmother. It's just it's it's so that makes it even stranger that her mom, who's so buttoned down and kind of repressed and in denial about so many things in her life, would come from this woman. Although they kind of make it seem like maybe the death of their of of her grandfather was the catalyst of all this. So maybe yeah, that's true. Maybe that's where her life took the detour, and she became crazy awesome rather than uh, going the way uh, Piper's mom is. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, maybe it was uh, being independent and figuring out I don't need a man. Right. Grandma just went went off and did her thing. So Piper gets her furlough, which is going to be the main B plot of this episode, and how much mm-hmm. uh, people are going to hate her for it. We move on <laughs> to a scene with Loose Check and Fisher. And before we move on, uh, can we talk about Piper a little bit? Yes, Um, sure. Because this is the reason why I didn't like the episode. Oh, I had a realization that it wasn't that I don't like Piper. I don't like her acting. I don't like the actor, the way she's portraying Piper. Taylor Schilling. So Taylor Schilling. um, I know that she's got a, a huge following and she's, you know, quote unquote, the star of the show. I feel like 
she didn't change enough affect to portray the emotions that were happening in that scene with Healy, right? So she comes from talking to the Golden Girls about how she fondly remembers her grandmother, and there was sort of this wistful look in her eyes, and she's happy and sad, like remembering good times and sad that her grandmother's sick, which is complex, right, to show that. right. And then Healy comes in and has this conversation, says, hey, I got to talk to you. You're getting your furlough. I didn't feel like Piper's emotions were portraying being grateful, being shocked, being surprised. I kind of felt like she was a stormtrooper. Same look, every yeah. scene, you know? I, I, it wasn't authentic. No, I think you're... <laughs> I, 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 something I've talked about is how she's a very bad crier. Um, <laughs> and I feel like that she does have... Uh, really, uh, she's good at like righteous indignation and you know being snarky, but she's very she's not as good. She's a lot more ham fisted when she's dealing with grief and gratitude and some of these more subtle emotions. Right, and this this notion of her to me, the stormtrooper, comes into play later in the episode too, which is another reason why I didn't like it the first time around. So right. I just want an actor to portray the emotions authentically right. and make me believe that they are feeling what the character's feeling. And I just didn't, I wasn't feeling Piper. Right. So no. I don't need her. I just don't feel her. Okay. Uh, that's, that's fair. And I think that's, uh, I, I have a lot of the same criticism about the episode, but it didn't bother me as much because I'm kind of in full on, you know, I, I just don't like the character of Piper and I don't spend a lot of time <laughs> thinking about why at this point. It's just like, you know, I feel like I got my reasons and I've articulated them and uh, that's the way it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. At least it wasn't the A plot, right? Uh, yeah, that's very true. But anyway, Lushek and Fisher, we're starting to see some problems in their relationship, which number one, he seems like he's an alcoholic man child and <laughs> she's a lot more complex than that. But as we're kind of realizing that Fig storms in and she's outraged as she stepped in gum with her Louboutins, um, this this is just another how terrible Fig is scene, right? I think so. But do are Joel and Susan, the two guards, really in a relationship or have they just gone out a couple of times? I think that's part of the man child thing is that, you know, if if you just go by his uh conversation with Nikki later on that the furthest he's gotten is I think touching a woman's boobs is second base. Um I, I, I thought I knew the base system until I listened to a Bikasho episode like five or six weeks ago and I just completely opened my mind to the bases and what they were. Uh but yeah, I mean the furthest he's gotten second base, she seems annoyed that he calls her like these pet names and that maybe this is unwanted or unwarranted levels of familiarity. Yeah. I can't tell if Fisher is um frustrated because he's not sort of wooing her in their relationship. He's just sort of taking it for granted and calling her his name. But then she finishes the scene um after she sips the hot chocolate and schnapps. Right. By telling him, you know, to call me, don't text me. And I think that that's a, a, you know, a different level in a relationship. Like you can text back and forth, but to hear someone's voice is just, it means a little bit more. And she's, uh, she got over that. She's like, I'm out. Mm. No, that's interesting. Like I didn't, I guess I didn't have a problem with him not returning her text because I can, you know, up until about five years ago, I was one of those guys who just, I didn't get texting. I didn't like texting. Why don't you pick up the fucking phone? So I I get that, but it's everything else about his whole deal going on that makes me think that she's kind of not very impressed. Although I will say, peppermint schnapps plus hot cocoa 
is an idea that I'm totally on board with. It's it's, oh, it's you, a perfect winter. You did winter. that in high school? Oh, I guess you didn't do that in high school. No, I didn't, um, but that's they got me through a lot of <laughs> ski trips. We called them snugglers, where you take the uh, – and I always went to 100 proof uh, peppermint Ooh. schnapps to really give the extra kick, but a shot of that in hot cocoa, it's a good time. Yeah, yeah. No, that was our football game uh, thermos wear, for sure. <laughs> Underage drinking, really? That's what we're going to encourage oh, in this I'm podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Send me to the shoe. <laughs> uh, Daya is a necrophiliac, apparently, <laughs> because she can't get any sleep, and that makes her want to fuck corpses. Uh, who knew? Horrible. <laughs> uh, the The point of this scene is that Gloria is really trying to thread the needle between or, or get between the rock and hard place that is loyalty to red or not even loyalty using the services of red, um, w- which is useful for her while staying uh, on the good side of V. Like she doesn't want to get caught up in this power struggle, but she wants to use it as it sees fit or as she sees fit, which seems, mm-hmm. seems reasonable. I think so. I, I'm really impressed with Gloria standing up to everybody. She doesn't seem to be afraid no, she does not give a fuck, which is yeah. intimidating to people. I mean, she seems very small in stature, particularly when they show her with me face to face. She looks tiny, mm-hmm. and yet she is not budging. You know, she's like, look, I don't trust you. I don't trust Red. I don't trust anybody. Yeah, and the fact that, that the fact that she, like, the first time she confronted V and, like, slammed her up against the wall is pretty clearly that V was playing possum, right? She was doing that as a, you know, a way to kind of like, you know, make sure that she's unassuming until she had her base of power assembled. It's a lot more genuine when she stands up to her in this episode. Right, right. I mean, V just puts the V in evil. Oh, sure. Um, She's just manipulative and waiting, biding her time, very patient. Um, But Gloria is, you know, keeping her eyes open. She got screwed over with the, the, uh, cigarettes that were completely stale so she sure. definitely is not going to trust anything sure um so yeah i like gloria i like she's very feisty and she's smart um she's she's looking out for her girls i like her a lot you know it's interesting you said v is evil and i said that there's no villain except for the american prison system is uh i think uh porn stash is another exception to that rule he's he's an evil character uh, a loathsome character is v can is is v uh, a completely unsympathetic villain in your eyes, and uh, keep in mind that we're not going to talk about anything that happens later in the season. But just okay. in general, okay. do you think that, uh, in your opinion, V is evil, or is she a victim of the system, or is she more of a profiteer of human misery than a victim of it? Hmm, she's definitely a profiteer, which that's a nice way to frame it. Um, I feel like she has the potential to. She's a leader, right? So she has Mm -hmm. the potential to do good. So she's using her superpowers for evil and not good. Mm -hmm. So she's a villain in my mind. Right on. Um, That's the way I see her. And it's it's a disappointment, quite frankly, as a woman of color. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like we have a responsibility to mentor and support young women of color who are behind us. And regardless of whether this is the prison system or not, Mm -hmm. she still is a role model. And I think that she is perpetuating bad behavior and breaking the law and so no one's ever going to get better if you continue to do those kinds of behaviors it's arguable that so this prison's never been a bed of roses and really great but it's arguable that her reintroduction to this prison has made things 
worse as far as the girls <laughs> getting along, as far as, you know, even race relations, all that stuff has gotten marketably worse. And she's she's intentionally tried to drum up that animosity and, and hate uh, to her own end. So I do feel like she is is villainous and they haven't done yeah. much to make her sympathetic. No. You know, like all the other women that have had terrible stories, they've all shown kind of the other. We don't see like V's real origin story and why she is the way she is. Maybe it would be compelling if we saw it, but. Right. I mean, all we've seen is that she uses impressionable people to to do her dirty work. Sure. Whether she was inside or outside, that's how she, that's how she rolls. She's always doing something dirty. So let's move on to Miss Rosa, who's now getting her chemo treatment. The state will continue to pay for that, not the surgery that might save her life. Um, And Rosa is casing the place with her little shit pot friend. What (laughs) did you think of the scene? I was delighted at the scene. I thought that we saw a glint in Rosa's eye, despite the fact that her body was being pumped full of poison. Sure. um, As she was talking to shit pot and um, their banter back and forth became um, more of a partnership than adversarial. Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of were just talking shit before, and now they are, you know, Rosa is, like I talked about, mentoring this young person. In a life of a crime. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a skill that he really should um, uh, continue to hone. Sure. However, when you're sitting still for hours getting poison pumped into your system, what else are you going to do but make up stories? Um, and so I thought it was interesting that Rose's skill from 20-something years ago is still quite in tune, right? She figured out the patterns of the guards. How often does someone go to the restroom? Who's a smoker who takes a break every 90 minutes or whatever the cycles are? She was really, really observant of everything going on in that room. Yeah, and what really impressed me about this scene is the the sheer economy of storytelling. We're talking like Costco level of storytelling economy (laughs) because... You know, the last time we left the shit pot, we, they are kind of adversarial, but he was kind of coming around to the old lady. This time he's leaping her to defense about this nurse's incompetent needlework, which directly, uh, ties into the nurse's backstory of her being a, a secret, uh, on the clock drunk, which yeah. then reveals Rose's, uh, skill at casing the place, which then furthered the plot in motion to steal this woman's wallet, which we're already, that's a bad thing, but we already are conditioned not to feel bad because she is a <laughs> drunk who has been sticking Miss Rosa carelessly because she's got shaky hands. That yeah, is and- fucking incredible to fit into about 90 seconds of screen time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, the nurse was just always a bitch, just always a bitch. So when they took the money, I was like, yeah, right, take, right. take everything you can get. Um, that is a pet peeve of mine. Nurses and nurse practitioners and doctors and lab technicians that are shitty with needles. And I've got, I've got, I've been told I have, and I've had a bad history of it. I've got um, tricky veins. Uh, if you can't get in the first time, I then announced that I have a three strikes policy. Uh, yeah. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, you get, you know, you get two more times to get blood or get the medicine going or the IV. And then I'm going to have to get, I'm going to request that you uh, get a new person. And I've actually had to get shitty with people. Like they're like, ha ha. And I'm like, no, seriously, you're not allowed to stick me again. I don't right. think yeah. sticking me in three different places and coming up bupkis three times. Cause I know that there are people that can do it right the first time. So find that person that knows what the hell they're doing. And you go practice on pigs or whatever you need to do to get your shit together. Um, and, and I just feel like, 
I don't know. I always wonder psychology is like, why do you want to keep trying? You know, right. anyway, I, that's my, you, my pet peeve, my little Aaron pet peeve. Yeah, you had a lot of passion about that pet peeve. I did. Have um, I been like this started when I was seven years old, man. I remember uh, a a uh, and my mom and dad weren't in a room, but this 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 uh, nurse at this emergency uh, care clinic fucking sticking me like eight or nine times, and like I'm I crying hope- and I can't make this person stop hurting me. It's like it's bullshit. Yeah, that sounds very traumatic. And they weren't using like a pediatric needle on you to help. Fuck, I was seven. I don't know. But no, even in my adult life, they say that I have, um, and I'm not like a heroin addict. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a healthy adult male, but I've, I don't know. Yeah, or if you're drunk, like the nurse in the clinic. If you're day drinking as a nurse, Aaron will probably call three strikes on you. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and I'm feeling on that. I, I donate blood on a regular basis, and I always tell the person who's drawing what is that a phlebotomist i get yeah right Uh, yeah i say okay don't use that arm because they can never find the vein there Mm -hmm. and you got to give me a second to squeeze that little ball no i i i found that the people at the blood drives are usually pretty good and i didn't think it's because it's just you know you do anything that many times you get fucking good at it which also makes me really skeptical about a nurse or a resident who can't nail something the first time i'm like my gosh yeah you know, do you not yeah. care? You just doesn't have enough of practice. But oh, yeah. anyway, you're afraid of blood, baby. <laughs> spent a lot too much time on Aaron therapy here. Uh, okay. This triggers this stealing the nurse's wallet triggers yet another Rosa flashback where she has moved on to the number two guy in the gang, uh, mm-hmm. who she calls Poppy. And uh, Poppy on the, I think it's um, after they had done their initial gate getaway that it seems like their routine was to swap cars. But he has a heart attack during the car swap apparently, and just up and no. dies. The uh, curse. Uh, the, the the kiss for luck curse has struck again. I know. Um, so and she's really uh, obviously she's like not again uh, about this whole situation. Anything we want to talk about there? Move on to. Uh, Piper's mom's voicemail and Caputo going makeup crazy. Yeah, no, I think that uh, staying with Poppy and Rosa, it, it just established how the, the gang got better at robbing banks. So I, it may have been the second one that we saw, but perhaps not the second bank robbery. Sure, sure. Because I think the car, the car swap was definitely a, a, a sophisticated move for bank robbery. Not that I do it, but. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm taking notes. I- I'm taking notes. This podcasting <laughs> thing doesn't work out. Definitely want to switch yeah. cars after you get a couple blocks away from the scene. <laughs> But then how did the boyfriend die of a heart attack? He just seems so young. I was really shocked at that. I was trying to figure out what happened. Like, I'm, I said, don't tell me this guy got shot, too. And then all of a sudden, she's like, I think he's having a heart attack. I'm like, a heart attack? He's like 22. I, is he? I thought he was like, maybe, I, I don't know. I mean, dudes can have heart attacks early. Um, I suppose. I like suppose. mid-30s, early 30s, depending on how stressful. And I think, you know, genetics pay uh, come into. And I have no idea what the genetics for like Cubans or Puerto Ricans or Hispanics that, you know, like, uh, uh, like Pousse mentioned the, the black folk have, uh, problems with <laughs> hypertension and yep. sickle cell yep. an- anemia. I don't know if there's a particular thing that runs in the genetics for the Hispanics, but I uh, maybe they, they're at a risk for, uh, bank robbing Hispanics in the, in their early thirties have a, have a marked uh, increase of risk for heart disease. I think that's, <laughs> I got that from the Surgeon General. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's going to be a Gallup poll about that too. They're going to ask all the bank robbing Hispanics right. about their diet. Sure. Maybe, and that, just ask, you know, how much saturated fat is in your diet? Uh huh. 
How often do you exercise? Are you taking fish oil? And and how many banks have you robbed in the last in the last year? And 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 are you yes. planning on robbing more? That's definitely one of the lifestyle yeah. questions that you yes, need to start yes. asking. Yeah, that's good. And are your mattresses stuffed with the cash that you've stolen? So are you not getting a good night's rest? Right. Do you need a bigger bed of cash? Mm-hmm. Do we need a Tempur Pedic maybe to sort of adjust all of that? <laughs> I t- yeah. I guess you know from Breaking Bad. And uh, from this show, a bed of cash must be the most comfortable thing to lay on. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, again, Piper can't get a hold of her mom, which in retrospect seemed ominous. I did not. I, I was completely unprepared for the reveal at the end of her grandma actually not surviving the episode. Um, yeah. But I, you know, they did a good job of just making her mom seem like a, the kind of absent-minded twat that would do something like that. <laughs> Uh, Caputo is going like full on paranoid uh, interrogation mode for everybody about this contraband stuff that figs up his ass about, um, which moves us on to the Nikki and loose check scene where we kind of talked about her, her trying to pump him for, you know, the sexual history he's having with Fisher. I know. I love how she's like, so tell me about those boobs. When it was brilliant that they had that transition, <laughs> she asked him about her boobs to then a close up of uh, Fisher's article in the Guards or People Two column. Yes, I know, I know. That was really nicely done. And once really nice. Once again, I freeze framed and got a lot of detail out of this. Would you care to hear some more about Fisher, the ex guard at uh, at this federal prison? I always care to hear. Her favorite books are G is for Gumshoe Forever. <laughs> Bossy Pants, Little Women, and The Help. Oh, that's such a great combination. It is, isn't they it? Went back, Judy Bloom, back when she was young with Forever. Uh-huh. I mean, that is like a seminal book for young women. Sure. Um, reading about becoming women. Um, yeah, Bossy Pants, that's great. That's a current title. Um, yeah, I've not read that one. Really nice, nice combination. Well done, writers. Well done. Uh, her favorite movie is You've Got Mail, the Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks rom-com. So she's a sappy romantic. Of course. Uh, favorite food, Mint Milanos, which I have no idea what the hell that is, and Chop oh, Suey. Oh, yeah, they're Peppermint Farm cookies. They're kind of like a sandwich cookie, and one layer has dark chocolate, and the other layer has mint on it. Oh, right, right, and right. Those, like, real, yeah, yeah. real thin wafer jobs. Yeah, they're, like, yeah, they're um, sophisticated Oreos. Okay, all right. Um, so maybe, so, so maybe I'm kind of surprised she wasn't down with the peppermint schnapps then. <laughs> mm, not in the morning. You know, she's very straight laced at work. That's true. That's true. Fish, Fisher's not fucking around. She's like, I'm going to look to the phone calls. I'm going to follow, I'm going to follow the rules. I want to be successful. So her hobbies, in, her hobbies include knitting, intramural softball, mentoring at the elementary school, archery and karaoke. Uh, wow. That's an, an, she sounds like the party. The, she's she's kind of saint-like, you know? I mean, and she's got this <laughs> interesting, like, girly, but also martial kind of thing going with the archery that I'm digging. Yeah, uh, yeah. and the knitting, so she could be uh, giving back to the community by making little sweaters. But I kind of picture her knitting small sweaters for a Yorkshire Terrier for some reason. I don't know why. Sure, sure. Oh, yeah. Some, some sort of animal or dog. Yeah. Uh, yeah. trivia, she won fifth grade spelling bee and is fluent in Spanish. And yep, her got that one. quote to live by is from Zoe Deschanel. The aim for me is making people feel like they're less alone. Oh, she's a very, Fisher. very sweet girl. Um, yeah, she is 
And smart, too. I mean, she won the fifth grade spelling bee. She's fluent in Spanish. I think she's going to land on her feet just fine. <laughs> I love. I can't wait till we get to that scene. Um, they also, this newsletter also has some downright subversive Animal Farm comics that I'm surprised that they're letting through into the final copy because uh, uh, Daya here has drawn figs as a pig in high heels that are cr- cramming animals into this tiny, tiny cage. Uh, while hoarding this huge barnyard house for herself with a big sign that says "For Pigs Only," it's very Orwellian, uh, very yeah. subversive. It's it, that 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 one comic could start a prison riot all by itself. Yeah, Bravo, I thought ladies. Dara did a nice job with that. No, no, and, that was and, on point. Yep, with the Louboutins and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. The other thing is like Lorna uh, Morello gave some questionable advice on men. <laughs> Uh, that men like to be in control the, in her advice column, which I thought was a beauty column, but she's apparently ran into advice now. She advises. Yeah, but that's Flocka's. Flocka's. I know. She's moved on to Flocka's right? corner. I feel like overlapped? that. that Yeah, I don't know. But this, or maybe it was a, maybe it was the prop people not paying attention. But this also, mm. this, this seems like Lauren and not, Flocka would not say, men like to be in control and be protective. So wear no, soft no. colors and pastels so you look more vulnerable. Men also want to feel free, so don't be a burden, uh, but also don't be available on their first, you know, she's given this like kind of like really bullshit 70s era Cosmos advice. Um, Sounds perfect for Morello. Yeah. But anyway, uh, we get a little bit of the, uh, the, the backlash because Piper mentions that she's not going to be here next Monday and Daya, who is a Piper fan, says, you know, I, I like you and I kind of want to I, I kind of want to beat you. I, I don't want to punch you in the face over this furlough <laughs> thing. Yeah. Well, uh, then Flocka gives her advice about going out clubbing. Did you catch all that? Yeah. Making that ass clap, which Daya says, no way that ass white ass is going to clap, <laughs> which that is a true statement. I do not think Piper could 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 clap. I'm sure she has no ass. The, I'm sure she has no idea what it means to make it clap. The the twerk um, the twerk would not work in her case. No, 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 no twerking allowed with that <laughs> lack of ass. I think we call that nazatol out where I'm from. What's that? Because we call it nazatol because you have no ass at all. Oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, Bennett's uh, talking to Caputo about contraband, which makes him crazy nervous. Um, but the whole point of this scene is it leads to his, cause he's talking about how you can't make friends with these prisoners. And when you least expect it, they'll, they'll turn on you, which gives him epiphany about red, uh, which is probably going to be bad news for her. Uh, let's see. I know you saw Caputo just kept getting more and more paranoid as the episode went off. Right. By the time he gets there, he's accusing Bennett of having something in his movie. That was illegal. That was like, what is wrong with you, Caputo? Like, the, you need to put that pipe down. The funny thing is, is he's completely right. Bennett has yeah. been totally <laughs> muling it up. Red has been totally sneaking <laughs> this shit in. He's completely right. He's just too stupid to get the real yeah. what's going on. It's not the yeah. kale milkshakes, he, man. It's his hollow leg. <laughs> I love the way they make Caputo's eyes get really big at the end of the scene when he has the realization. And he's right. like, oh, shit. Shit. And his right. eyes are like big old bug cartoon character eyes. <laughs> uh, we have a scene with uh, Rosa and Shitpot again uh, where they swing into action and he's none too smooth about, uh, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to the bathroom now. And she distracts the nurse by showing her. And I thought that this is interesting that the nurse really kind of uh, went into bitch light mode when someone started taking a human interest into her. 
And then well, was, when, when Rosa slammed the door on her, okay, what's, what's your take on it? I think that Nurse Bitch was excited to talk about her two-carat diamond, which oh. is not being a nice person. That is, check out my bling. It's a very big, shiny rock, and it's mine. I don't think she was really talking about talking to Rosa as a human being. I think she was like, yep, I got a big old rock on my finger. See, I, I saw it as like she didn't necessarily, that wasn't her topic. It's She's kind of surprised that the people are talking to her. And, you know, I've got this whole backstory that she's working as cancer ward and so many people die and she has to wear all this emotional armor. And maybe she started drinking because she's having a hard time, you know, dealing with it all. And then this person kind of reaches out to her and she's like, oh, okay, I'm switching gears into people mode again. And then just as she gets gets the transition, pff, uh, Rosa drops the hammer on her. And yeah. she's back to bitch mode. But that's but that's my kidding, elaborate yeah. backstory I've got for this character. Yeah, no, I mean, it's as if you got were, you had the sides and were auditioning for the, the part. I mean, you really created this backstory. <laughs> but it speaks to what we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. that everyone is looking for love. Like, it, you talked about the people who work at the prison. They probably went into those jobs wanting to help people, sincerely wanting to help, and sincerely wanting to create a good place. And so this nurse, as you said, She's an oncology ward. She sincerely wanted to help people stay comfortable and possibly survive the treatment, but she's just, it's worn her down year after year after year. So thankfully she has a big diamond on her finger, but her heart is black with despair. Indeed. And we, they, they pull off the caper on her. They steal 63 bucks from her, which triggers yeah. yet another flashback where Rose has now moved on to the number three guy, guy in the gang. Uh, and he, I was like, man, widen out your dating circle. Maybe if you yeah. if you move outside the gang, you won't be killing so many people. Well, uh, there was no Match.com back in the 80s. That's true. Right? I mean, there that's was true. just not as many options. What are the other sites out there? Who, who are you going to meet on when you're when you're robbing banks? I mean, the, exactly. the, the cute guy that's a teller, that's not going to work. Come on. No. The gun store, wherever you get, you know, where you're buying bullets. That's true. I don't know that that's quality men, right? No, no. Black market arms dealer is not going to no. not going to treat you right. So I guess no, you got to stick with what so. you know. Uh, I think it's funny that he's like not wanting anything to kind of do with it, though. Like, no, nah, I don't want to do this kissing shit. Uh, she's all, we find out how she got in prison. She's all amped up on danger and adrenaline, and she wants to rob a consecutive bank, which uh, predictably goes wrong and lands her into right. the the clink. Yeah, and she says, you know, she loves the smell of cash, right? Who Early doesn't? in the episode. Sorry? I said, who does not love the smell of oh. cash? <laughs> yeah, okay. It's pretty fantastic. Know that, you know, who, but who carries that much around anymore? Everyone uses their debit card for everything. So I don't know that that smell of cash I wonder, is prevalent. I wonder if it'll go away with this generation, but I do, uh, I do think the money smells terrific. And I always have yeah. even since I was a little kid. It's just I've always, I, I get that smell. I've always been taught that money is very dirty, so you shouldn't play with it too much because it just it touches so many people's hands. And, so, and it's amazing. Uh, as dirty shirt. as it is, it smells so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you have Rose's addiction and uh, the the nurse's heart. So um, you really connected with a lot of characters in this episode. Indeed, I, and and I feel like in my heart of hearts, I am something of a criminal. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah. like I, I criminal with a heart of gold. Like my old, because I used to in my in my job, my most recent job, I I was working for this company and uh, did a lot of reconciliation of cash and write program about that. And my boss was joking about how easy it would be for me to program like a Superman three style, you know, skimming <laughs> operation, Richard Pryor style. And I'm like, look, look, boss, yeah. 
you could probably set up to a million dollars of cash on this desk and it's going to be safe because I'm not going to risk I'm not going to risk life in prison for a mi- now a million and one dollars it's going to start being really <laughs> tax free cash it's re- don't, you cannot trust Aaron with over a million dollars in cash because I'll just go I'll go and I'll go yeah. to Belize and you'll never see me again your nose starts to water with that this, the anticipation of that smell of a million and one. Wow. And, and the bed that I could construct out of that much cash? Uh-huh. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's too tempting. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Moving on to some more light hazing. <laughs> Sophia threatens Piper with a skullet because she's jealous. <laughs> and this turns this starts off kind of light and breezy, but then we find out that Sophia applied for uh, this furlough to see her father. Who had yeah. disowned her when she started transitioning, but when, you know, as people often do, gotten soft when he started dying, started asking for her, but not just name, but her new name. Uh, and she's like, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe we could have gotten some closure, but I guess it's going to happen, not going to happen to me. And that last sign, thing she said where she goes, but hey, grandmothers, they're important too. Really I know. killed me. It's, oh, powerful, powerful scene. I mean, I think Laverne Cox did such a nice job because she did start out very sort of tongue-in-cheek, you know, teasing her about messing up her hair as she's doing the other woman's hair. So it wasn't just Piper mm-hmm. and Sophia having the scene. It was really more of a how you sit in the beauty shop and everyone chit-chats as things are going on. But mm-hmm. Sophia just really turned it around and talked about her personal experience, how she really wanted the opportunity to be able to say something to her father, particularly because he did start start to accept her as Sophia. Um, yeah, that was emotional. It was an emotional scene for me. No, totally. I got a little bit of a lump, especially just because she, she told it in a way that didn't blame Piper, but also made her yep. incredibly aware of the privilege that she was having. Yes. Yes. Um, let's see. Caputo goes to smash up Red's greenhouse and they end up, because you know, Red's been, she, she, as soon as he started poking his nose around, she started shipping product out and yep. she ends up joining him, and they they smash the whole thing. Uh, she says she hopes it was therapeutic for you. Uh, he's a day late, dollar short on this. Yeah, I love that Red was a step ahead of him on this one because I would have been sad had she gotten caught and sent to the shoe. Uh, apparently, this was not therapeutic because he goes storms into a meeting of the CEOs where they're talking about how terrible the shot quota has. Um, which I thought was hilarious. The conversation between O'Neill and that other dude was like, do you ever have to dream where you save everybody in here? And O'Neill's like, oh yeah, one time I got the congressional medal of honor and the other guy's like, nice. Like congratulating <laughs> them on their stupid dreams. <laughs> I know what an idiot. That's just, oh, and, that, that was a good, a good way to kind of come out of the heavy emotional scene and, and, and have the guards talking about how they're even fed up with this idea of the shot. Sure. Again, because again, most people are inhuman monsters, at least not all the time. And uh, Caputo comes in, and they all start kind of like mouthing and gesturing at uh, Fisher to, you know, like he's you're the one he likes. You need to be saying this to him. And uh, she tries to say, like, you know, talk truth to him. And she says, you just can't punish people arbitrarily to make an example. And he's like, you're fired. Boom. Yeah, I just did yeah. it. And she storms out crying. Uh, Roller coaster of a scene because it's all like you know tense between Red and Caputo, and then kind of laughing and joking with the CEOs, but also serious. And then Fisher gets fired. So shit. Yeah, it was so sad because Fisher was trying to be so reasonable and trying to have a very mature conversation. And then when they showed Caputo on screen, his 
face and his hair just like tore up his bags under his eyes. He looked a mess. Mm-hmm. And then he fires her. And you could tell the actor did a nice job of saying, oh, I should have fucking fired her, but it's too late now. I got to stick with my gun. Oh, and he, and the, the other ironic thing is that he agrees broadly with everything she's saying, mm-hmm. but he, yep. he's got to deal with fig and he can't, you know, he can't have, uh, I don't know. It's, it's always tough. What do you do in your middle management of a terrible company? No, it's tough. Yeah, it's really hard. Um, as someone who's, who's worked her way up through middle management, it's hard. You've got to please your bosses, but you also remember what it's like to be sitting in the desks and, and doing the paperwork and trying to meet the quota, whatever the quota is. Right. So yeah, it's difficult. And I think he knows that his boss, Fig, is unreasonable um, and doesn't have good intentions, whereas he's trying to continue to, to have, he tried to have the right intentions, it didn't work, so now he's like, well, I've got to go to the other side and just be a complete ass. Right. And that's, that's, I don't know, again, I don't know what you do in your, his position where your boss is giving them a directive. I mean, I would, I don't know. I've been in that situation before and, uh, I kind of stood my ground and it worked out, but you got to kind of not give a shit about whether you lose your job or not. And yeah, I think he's got the extra element that, oh God, if they got rid of me, what asshole would take over and what kind of, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's, I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going through his mind, but he's in a bad spot. He's in a bad spot. Playing politics is really tough when people are completely unreasonable like Fig. Yep. Uh, we already talked about the scene with V and uh, uh, Gloria and and Red and how they're kind of coming to blows and she's trying to play both sides and they, they have the scorpion and the frog story, which I'm sure everyone's familiar with if or not. Do you know the scorpion and the frog? Would you care to retell it if you do? Do you know that I don't? I mean, oh. I think I do. Holy shit. Um, then this is a yeah. very valuable service we're providing. <laughs> yeah, I, I meant to look it up, quite frankly, before we did the cast. But um, between uh, four days of Comic-Con and um, exhaustion, I wasn't able to get to that. But I right. do like how they position V with Gloria's kryptonite. You know, here's a cigarette. She walks into the kitchen to try to have this conversation. Um, but yeah, the re- referral to, or the reference, I should say, to Scorpion the Frog, I didn't know it. So It's like an me. Aesop fable, and the story is there's a frog and a scorpion, and the scorpion propositions a frog to say, hey, take me over the the, the, uh, the other side of the river because I can't swim, and you're going there oh, anyway. Yeah. And the frog's like, fuck no, you're just going to sting me. And the scorpion's like, why would I do that? We'd both drowned. And the frog's yeah. like, all right, jump on. Starts halfway across the river scorpion does sting the frog and he's like what the hell now we're both going to die and the scorpion shrugs and says it's in my nature like that you yeah. that's you know scorpions and scorpion like people you can't trust even to act in their own self-interest yeah and, i thought there was an alligator involved in that crossing the river but maybe that's a different fable. i think alligators would not give a fuck about the scorpion sting <laughs> <laughs> They'd just be like, all right, I'm submerging, bitch. You're going to drown, and I'm going to be fine. Um, yeah, I, but, have, I have lots of questions about the fable, but I'll look it up later. So. Maybe Glory is, in fact, this, the alligator that does not give a fuck, and she's <laughs> going to drown both these bitches. I don't know. Yeah, we'll and stay I'm going to bite you. <laughs> but did you notice in the, in the scene, first of all, the two actresses are so talented. Yes. Right? They're just, you believe everything they're doing. But Gloria had a knife in her hand. Mm, no, right? She yeah. was chopping vegetables. Uh-huh. And I just thought, oh, my God, please cut her. Do something. Mm-hmm. That V deserves just something. But mm-hmm. um, she, she restrained herself. She just she used her word. Right. 
in, in a way that was uh, clearly confrontational. They were both um, all up in each other's faces, and, but Gloria did not use the weapon in her hand. You know, is this episode where, if you recall in the preseason show we did, we all made kind of predictions, and my prediction was after teasing it so much last season, we're going to have some full-on Oz-style violence in the yeah. prison. And I mm-hmm. started thinking this episode, I'm like, ooh, ooh, this this prediction's looking good. We're going to have a three-way war between the Latinas, the black girls, and the Russian mafia, and it's going to be a bloodbath. We'll see how that works out throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I thought it was interesting. I'm not going to – I'm actually not done with the season, if you can believe that, but – as far as I've seen, we need one I, at I least one virgin to maintain our perspective. I think so. And I am kudos. the demure Asian. Yes, I'm the demure Asian virgin <laughs> in this team, so I, I own that completely. But I, I did notice as they showed, um, there was a shot of Gloria and V face to face. Gloria is not only physically bigger, but they made her hair really bigger, which I understand will play out in the, the season mm-hmm. a little bit later. So. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to Fisher in the chapel and catches Nikki smoking. Uh, what do you think about this scene? Oh, Nikki. I love Nikki. I just felt like she was being so sweet, comforting Fisher about getting fired. And, you know, she says to her point blank, you were never really that good at being a CEO. So right, yeah. I you were, that was, and that's, yeah. That's, not a, that's not a bad reflection on you, no. by the way. No, she's like, you're, you know, your heart is too big. You care too much is essentially what she was saying. And then she gives her career advice, right? She becomes, Nikki becomes guidance counselor to Fisher. Mm-hmm. And I love, there was a line in there where she says something like, you know, you should go to technical school, technical school and learn to wax armpits and vag lips. Mm-hmm. I laughed so hard because <laughs> she just said it with a straight face. It was not, she was totally serious. And she was right. giving her all this emotional support, which is what Fisher needed, right? Sure, she needed sure. a hug. She needed some loving words. She needed some comfort. She needed someone to say, you're not broken. You're going to be fine. You know, shit happens, but you're going to come out of this okay. And you're a good person. And I think that's what Nikki was giving her. Sure. Uh, she also was probably thinking, hey, I won my spelling bee in the fifth grade. I'm not going to be fucking waxing any badges, okay? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And if I have to start... Waxing badges, I can also get archery lessons on the side. That's true. She can be... Because she Katniss can... Everdeen, Mockingjay's coming out soon, so she could really ride that wave. I wonder if that's led to a spike in female... Uh, or I, I, so, something I've gotten into in the last year in a major way is archery. Um, yeah. Me, me and my oh, boy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I will say that at the ra- local range, it's a fucking sausage fest. Sometimes girls will come in with their uh, boyfriends and very bored, sit on the 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 bleachers, watching them, and most likely playing on their cell phones. I've yet to see <laughs> a female there at the range, which I kind of was surprised because I thought maybe there would be, uh, you know, with this all this cat and this stuff, that there would be some more female archers, especially young younger ones. I don't know. Well, there. I read a lot of articles when Hunger Games first came out that that was true. But maybe, are you going to the ranges on the weekends when teenage girls would be there? Or are you going during the week? Uh, I've, yeah, it's been more more of during you know during the week. But I do go probably yeah. at least every other Saturday. Okay. I, I do know that um, at least the local schools around here saw more interest from the girls um, in archery, the schools that do still have archery. 
Um, but, you know, I don't know if that's across the board. Mm. I, I don't know if it's also waned a bit because, you know, now they've moved on to other movies like, you know, Divergent or whatever else that mm. these wacky kids are watching. Sure, sure. Um, but, yeah, I, I think when Hunger Games first came out, certainly there was more interest and there were a lot more news stories about archery and, and those kinds of things. So, well, you know, Fisher might have something there. I think it's a great hobby for women because, you know, it's like it kind of like golfing. It's the great equalizer that, you know, the sk- it's more about the skill and your form than it is about about strength and it's very zen and calming Mm -hmm. and uh no i'd I'd recommend anyone get into it honestly yeah you know i actually threw a hunger games party for my daughter's birthday a few years back and Uh one of her guests who was i guess she must have been 13 she said she was completely into archery because i had done a bunch of games that were sort of hunger games i'm that kind of mom i'm the pinterest mom right um did you have like, have a, like a did you have a district uh, one and two uh, pinata of like a blonde haired blue eyed boy or girl that, that, that everyone's <laughs> able to beat with a, a staff or a sword or something? I am the Pinterest mom who's not that silent. Oh, so what I had was okay. the kitchen was was Peter Malark's bakery and we had the loaf of bread and we had the berries and we had all that stuff in the kitchen as the, the appetizer. Ooh, cake, cake camouflage? Was cake? Please tell me there's some cake <laughs> camouflage going on. No, that was the activity. The kids got to decorate cupcakes. Gotcha. All right. And so they had a bunch of stuff. But outside, I had a little fake archery target where it was supposed to um, stick to the target. It was obviously not piercing anything. Sure. And the young girl, the 13-year-old who was into archery, just was giving people pointers about how to stand and how to pull your elbow back and keep it high. And I thought that was really cool. You that know, is awesome. They're coaching everybody. Yeah. And then the boys that were there, of course, were being boys and were saying, put an apple on my head and shoot it off. And I'm like, look, <laughs> no one, not my child. No one loses an eye at my birthday party. <laughs> That's right. Oh, anyhow, so we digressed a bit around, a bit around this archery thing. But We will digress point, a bitch too. Right. Bitch steps up. We will digress you. <laughs> Don't even won't even think twice. Um, so this was also kind of the breakup scene with her and Loose Check, I thought, because he came in and was a dick. Like, I yeah. he, this guy he... seems like he's a lot cooler, but then he gets around Susan. I think it's, it's, I always call her Fisher, but you said Susan. Yeah, Susan. And yeah. he's just like, oh, you got fired. Lame. I'm at the fuck. I know. It's completely emotionally unavailable. Right. Yeah. And she, like I said. Fisher needed the hugs. She needed the love. She needed the comfort. She didn't even need, she didn't need him to say everything's going to be okay at that point, but she definitely didn't need to say lame. Like that was just. Yeah. Total dick. Total dick dick move. Yeah. Dick. Next. Uh, Rosa sees the shit pot boy crying with his mom and assumes it's the worst and starts going in overdrive. It's the fucking curse. All the men in my life die. And he said, Yo, crazy lady, I'm done with chemo. I'm in remission. These are tears of joy, which meant a lot to her. She got a lot of yeah. catharsis out of that, I thought. Yeah, yeah. It was it was nice to see Rosa happy, and, and yet it was so sad because she didn't have time to really talk to him, right? She right. was just like, she called him a shit pot and smiled and was sort of feeling this laughter really deep in her gut. Uh, I just thought, wow, that's... It's it's happy and sad at the same time. Right. Now she's not going to be able to talk to the little shit pot when she's coming back for chemo. Indeed. And, you know, she yeah. he's got his whole life ahead of her. She does not, which kind of dovetails into the final flashback where she's in prison and uh, uh, bank robber number three, uh, the one that survived, <laughs> uh, comes up and sees her and she says, you know, it's my fault. I'm greedy. I already missed the smell of cash. What am I going to do in here for kicks? 
which would be interesting to see how I'm assuming that she was in the first time V came around um, just mm. because of the timeline. But it feels like, you know, from the earlier yeah. interactions that they were more or less strangers. Um, maybe she got transferred. She started because I've heard that about the Golden Girls, that they were in Max uh, because some of them were quite violent. The the yeah. the old long haired lady had killed a dude of the next. Uh, but but they get transferred to minimum security for good behavior and also for being old ladies. So maybe that's what happened to her. She missed. She was in the serious person's prison uh, and then got bumped down. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I was trying to figure that out, too. Um, anyway, Tasty and the other girls are super jealous. Um, and Pusey is complaining that she had, you know, her dead black mom was not worth one dying white granny because, again, another parent, she got denied uh, furlough for that. And uh, they really are getting to Piper, and she comes off with this corn pone speech, uh, which fails on every level. Uh, what did you, I, I, I guess I'm spoiling what I thought about it. What did you think about it? <laughs> Um, I, I was happy that we finally got to see Tasty and Pusey because I do like those two characters and Black Cindy. Sure. Um, and they were kind of MIA think, in this whole episode. They say, say that again? They were kind of MIA in this whole episode. I know. And, and the way they brought them in, you know, it's sort of, we see Piper and then we see V, Tasty, Pusey, Black Cindy. So it's this frame of these strong black women talking shit so that Piper can hear it. And then Piper looks forward, and she's looking at Aleda and and the one with the big Frida Kahlo eyebrows. I don't know her name, but yeah, she also works yeah. in the kitchen. Uh huh. Um, oh, that's uh, Blanca. Block Blanca, I believe. Is that Blanca? This, okay. Yeah. So Aleda and Blanca are talking smack directly at Piper. So Piper is getting it from you know the line. She's getting in front of her. She's just getting all this hate, and they're lacing race through it, right? So sure. It's like it's because she's white. It's because she's rich. It's because she's all these things. And they say Chapman ain't got no strife in her life. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely this class and, and race issue going on. But I think my perspective on Piper's speech is that it, it was ineffective. I just felt like I don't think she would have been able to say all of that. I don't think that it was smart for her to say all that either. I don't think it's a very safe place. Hell no. For her to stand up in front of everyone in the lunchroom and call these two groups out because everybody's there. So who knows what's going to happen when she's sleeping? Who knows what's going to happen when she's in the shower? She, I thought it was really stupid of her to try to be so badass and say, shut the fuck up in front of everybody. I just yeah. didn't buy it. Yeah. Like, all. yeah, I know I'm privileged. Fuck off. You know, no, I, it's like, it that's ne- never a great way to deal with anyone when, uh, you're trying to, I guess, diminish your sense of privilege to them. Uh, yeah. She's lucky that the worst she got so far was a square of cobbler thrown uh, to the back of her head, which I, I was. Yay, Suzanne. Yeah, I was starting to get livid. I'm like, oh, my God. If 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 first of all, I don't believe for a second any of them women would let Piper get three sentences into this fucking tirade before it'd been nope. shut the fuck up, bitch. And like nope. plastic nope. Nope. knives come out. But the way the silence kind of hang and she turned around and Nikki and some of the other white girls were looking at her like, wow, you know, you really told him. I'm like, oh, I can't even fucking believe. And then the pie hit. And I'm like, thank Christ. Yeah. Thank Christ that something happened. The pie was thrown by Suzanne. Mm-hmm. And at this time, it was not in a good way. Right? <laughs> no. Season one, she threw it in a really good way. I threw my pie for you. Yeah. Season two. I threw my pie at you. Nice. You brought that back around. I didn't, I forgot all about that thing in season one. 
Yeah. So this was a uh, offensive use of cobbler. That's right. And, and it right. needed to happen. Learning. It needed to happen. The ways of the food fight. <laughs> I, uh, and also props for the discretion because I thought it might generate into general food melee, but they didn't go there either. <laughs> yeah. uh, too much work to clean up. Right. Uh, so Gloria, it turns out, has been hiding Red's contraband for her. And uh, she says, hey, you got to get this shit out in three days because I don't want to get between you and V. Um, Red subtly criticizes her kitchen keeping by kind of like, you know, <laughs> saying you're not, you know, uh, doing the whole white glove test on the counter. Cecil and I debated this last episode. I want okay. your opinion. Does Red want the kitchen back or is she content to have her garden greenhouse empire? I think Red absolutely wants the kitchen back. Right. That's I'm totally on that, too. Why do you think yeah, she wants and it I back? Think, I think that that move around looking at the dirt or the, the flower, I think it was on the counter mm-hmm. is Red's way of subtly saying you're in this now, Gloria. And I can oh. bless you for it. Oh. You can lose your power. That's what I think she was doing. You can lose your power, Gloria. So be careful. See, I thought that was a way to acknowledge that, you know, cause V tried to warn her. It's like, you know, she wants a kitchen bag, which I believe because the greenhouse is a good gig, but it's, it's only it, at best is passive power. You know, you can't starve out a prisoner from the greenhouse. You can try to win favors, but you don't have any real offensive weapon where the kitchen's got it all. You can, you know, she had the passive power, uh, the the favors and all that, but she could also just directly, this person doesn't eat and get them to bend right. her will that way. Right. And Red loves cooking. Right. right? She loves it. You so it's t- like yeah, it's her passion, passion and her power at the same time. Those two P's. Uh, speaking of good speech versus bad speech, Piper wants to give the furlough back to Healy because she's the fucking worst. And Healy gives this speech about, you know, he wants his idealistic and this is what the thing's done and how she should be grateful. What did you think about this whole scene? I liked Healy's speech. Yes. I thought uh, it was well done. I thought the message was important about clearing your conscience. It's almost like he was kind of talking to himself in some ways. Yeah, no. Um so it felt like it was cathartic for him as well as healing for her. Um, and it was stupid for her to say she's going to give it back because that's not going to make anybody happy. You've got it. Just take it. Don't don't think that you're going to undo this one. You're, you're already fucked. No, can you imagine how much the girls would hate to her if yeah. she had it and then gave it away for some kind exactly. of self-righteous point? Holy shit, that yeah, would make things better. It's a statement about privilege again, right? Mm-hmm. You got it. Oh, let me just give it back because I don't really need it. Yeah, it, I, it would just perpetuate this cycle of hate. Right. I have this white guilt. I need to get rid of it through some yeah. showy display, and that you, you can't do that. You can't do nope. that because it's not a single nope. isolated incident that got you in the situation nope. you're at. Which you know. Yeah, I think she's just now being conscious of her white privilege, where she was just living her life before, mm. and so she she doesn't know how to manage that. Mm. Interesting. Um, I actually think that it's, it's always interesting to me that pe- even people that are aware of their privilege, um, are super defensive when they're called on it. Like really? So, and it's cause I'm, I pay attention to like feminist blogs as part of my okay. education. And some of the most vicious fights I've ever seen are when white feminists are called on things by black feminists and they get into oh, this like yeah. super defensive thing. And I'm like, God, what is it? And and yet these same white feminist women are completely in disbelief that men get defensive when they're called on their male privilege. Hmm. It's like, Jesus, if you're this conscious about the privilege concept 
it's amazing that you cannot see it on uh, when when it's in your own life. I don't know. Yeah, it's almost like um, when people are in in some sort of power position, they are threatened if someone's trying to take it away. So if you're one down from that level hmm. and you're close to getting that power position, you mm-hmm. start stepping on other people. Right. It's it's this cycle that happens, and that's part of privilege. It happens around whether it's around race or gender or anything. That's definitely part of privilege. Uh, it's hard to have this notion of treating people fairly. Like it's not treating the people the same, but treating people fairly is hard, I think, for human beings. Yeah, I mean, it also goes the whole bias principle that you're not aware yep. of your own biases, and it, and and nope. what you said is also the true. And it kind of like is this self reinforcing bolt layer of bullshit, and which is why you know that's in a nutshell is why society is the way it is and why it's so hard to change things a lot of times for the better. Um, right. And that's also why I have job security as the director of diversity of a corporation. <laughs> right. So I sort of live and breathe this all the time. Uh, so yeah. What do you think the Healy thought of her benediction at the end that you're counseling? It wasn't bad. You did a good job. Do you think that he gave a shit? Do you think this was just Piper being Piper or was this a moment? I think if Taylor Schilling was a better actress, he would have loved it. Mm. Um, I don't think she delivered it in a way that was that looked really authentic. I've said this before about her acting, but I think Healy, on the surface, felt like that was um, validation to no end. I think that he really needs that. He needs someone saying, "You're good at your job. You did a good job," or. I like you. And essentially Taylor, I mean, sorry, Piper was saying all of that to him. Yeah. Just something bugged me in, in the way she delivered it. Like she's some kind of uh professional prison counseling critic, you know, like she's giving him a, <laughs> she's like, you know, four out of five stars on iTunes review. Good. Not great. Felt, I felt kind of counseled. You could have done better. Maybe your audio quality wasn't up to snuff. Uh, you know, and kind of the similar thing to where, like, when Larry was trying to tell her something emotionally important to him and she criticized his use of words. Like, that right. is kind of her personality. And I felt like the actor playing Healy, uh, made it seem like it was, uh, uh, it, it, it made it seem like he was exasperated. Like, he did not get anything out of her saying, you did a good job there, Walrus. <laughs> um, speaking of, uh, peace offerings and, uh, you know, apologies. Caputo comes in with a bunch of plants for the Golden Girls uh, to kind of say Mia culpa on that. And I'm, hey, I'm gonna stay, right. get get out of your business. Red's not there, but they all stare stare him down in her stead. Right. Red wants uh, t- uh, Piper to spend some of her time outside checking up on her Piroshki Bakery, uh, which I've always called these kaloshis. Um, there's a, there's a company called the Kalashi factory. I'm not sure if it's a regional chain or what, but they, they make these rolls stuffed with all this stuff and they're, they're heaven. They're really awesome. And I guess it's an <laughs> Eastern European tradition. I've never called, heard them called Piroshkis before. I have never heard of Piroshkis. Um, but I love the fact that she's excited about her famous stuffed buns that she sells on Sundays. Right. Thought that was a great way of her talking about her past life mm-hmm. and how much it meant to her and how she felt like she was impacting families and you know people by creating these delicious delicacies um called piroshkis that piper couldn't pronounce correctly for about five minutes right um yeah it seems like that's i don't know if that's part of the marketing of it but the the whole kalashi factory is all big on the whole you know taste just like kind of like uh 
they, their marketing is all about like this is how Eastern European moms say they love you, and they're almost like they're baking yeah. love, and it's like this whole um, kind of schmaltzy marketing campaign. But I don't know. I mean, maybe they're fans yeah. of Kalashi Factory too, or maybe that's just true. That that's uh, yeah. Red doesn't seem the type of mom to just hug you and say she loves you. It's more like here's a Piroshki. I cared enough yeah, to make no, you the very best. That's a very. <laughs> I care enough to give you the very best stuff, bun. Right. You should. You um, should taste this and 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 know that I love you. Right. That's a very cultural thing, though. I mean, I think that cooking is how a lot of cultures show their love. Yeah. No. And um, so it makes perfect sense to me that that would be the marketing campaign for that company that you're talking about, and and that Red feels so much passion, and she misses that opportunity to make those stuffed buns. Yeah. Um, they're forcing Soso to shower because they've received numerous complaints. She tries to demonstrate passive resistance, but uh, that is met with aggressive aggression. Yeah. Uh, you know, as much as I support the idea of forced washing of dirty hippies, this was really filmed as a sad scene and a violation. And mm-hmm. I felt really bad for Soso, something that I would not imagine that I would feel bad yeah I, I, I was really sad for so so i mean it was almost like well she was completely being forced but it was her finally relinquishing control and saying you know like that was her way of controlling some people will stop eating to control things she stopped bathing to try to get a sense of control and her being in this new environment i also got that she, she was scared like disrobing in front of all these strangers, you're like, you know, more or less catcalling. Because Black Cindy's like, you better hurry up or there's going to shitstorm coming. Um, yeah, no, I I think it was a level deeper than that. Really? The symbolism of her taking a shower was showing her giving up this one last thing that she could control in her life. She could control not taking a shower. Mm. She could control that. But now she's a victim. Now she's a part of the system. Now she's a part of this culture and she has to do what they say and she no longer has any control and i think that's what not only was it about being naked in front of everybody and and being shamed into taking a shower i just think she lost control and that was Mm. it she just had a breakdown it was really sad the actress did a wonderful job with that scene it's interesting the way he's talking about is i feel like the next time we see her she's gonna have cobweb tattoos in her elbow and three teardrops in her eyes and she's she's just gonna be she's gonna be all in falling with the asian gangs teardrops you know, she has to kill someone to get that teardrop. I don't see So-So getting that violent to get three. You know, and I don't see a triple murder coming, but... I don't know, but if you're know? if you're a woofer, you know, a, a holy, a willing, organic uh, almond farmer, maybe if you ate meat three times and meat is murder, is murder, those three hamburgers, yeah, that's, that's the teardrops <laughs> right there. Meat is murder and prison is gluten. What are we going to do? <laughs> Uh, Rosa is, uh, talking to her female inmate that she's kind of like the loud grandma, but I have no idea what her name is. She got really bright. Anita. Is that her name? Anita? Okay. Yes. Do Uh, you know that I've been, it's been bugging me about who Anita is since we started this uh, show. uh Uh-huh. Um, can I tell you who she is? Do it. She is the actress that plays, um, a character named Mama in a really horrible movie you may remember called Showgirls. I remember this movie? Cecily, I never watched it until like late last year when Cecily forced me to watch it, and it was something okay. else. It's horrible, but the only reason I watched it is because my friend is one of the supporting characters in there, so I felt obligated. Um, <laughs> but I bet that was great mama. for their career. 
Yeah, well, she she's still working. All um, right. That was, it was a big break for her to get a film, um, but she played... You remember the character, the Puerto Rican girl who gets beaten up? I do. That's my friend Gina Rivara. She's an actress from San Francisco. Um, she was the only one who was acting well, aside from um, the woman who plays Anita. All right. I'm sorry, who plays Mama. Anyhow, I like that professionalism. Mama, you bring your A game even in a, the Z movie. Oh, yeah. She definitely brought her A game. But Mama had these great one-liners, so Anita's not that far off from that character. Right. Like she says, she was kind of like the madam, right? Who sure, was running sure. the, the show. Mm-hmm. And she says, as she's talking about one of the um, the horrors, she says, um, she looks better than a 10-inch dick, and you know it. <laughs> I just that's such a great line. <laughs> uh, so there you go, men. Uh, ideal penis length, 10 inches. If you're anything short, <laughs> there's not a woman on this planet that'll want you. No pressure there. Um, uh, let's see. Rosa is talking to Anita, saying that she always pictured going out in this blaze of glory, but this death, this slow, invisible, disappearing to nothing, is terrifying. Yeah. And it would be terrifying to anyone, let alone to someone cooped up in a prison her whole life. Uh, she's still got her smelling stack of cash, which <laughs> provides her some comfort that she uh, whips out and uh, smells. Um, the emotional punchline to the episode comes when Piper finally gets a hold of her mom and finds out that her grandma's gone. That privilege don't count for shit when you're dealing with a, a dying person in a hospital and uh, she's not going to be able to get this closure and this miracle has been dashed. Uh, yeah, and go ahead. I think I think that um for me I was so touched by Rose's speech, you, you already said it about the sm- slow and visible disappearing into nothing death. It made me so sad. Um, I have three friends that are currently going through chemo for breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And I just think about how draining it is for them, you know, in many ways, physical, emotional, spiritual, um, financial. Sure. And so I was really sort of in this very, very dark place watching this show, this part of the show. Mm-hmm. And then they show Rose's, you know, roll over and smell the cash. Um, kind of just negated all that and and the dark humor made me smirk a little. I didn't smile necessarily, but, um, but then Piper hears the story. And of course, as the stormtrooper that she is, I don't feel like she was really breaking down. No, she's um, terrible at showing. No, showing she's disbelief. really bad. Uh, but her mom says you were there in spirit. <laughs> My God, Jesus Christ. Really? Yeah. That's just, Oh, mom, shut the fuck up. No, no. Yeah. She's, uh, she's the worst. Like like the Golden Girl said, she sounds like a real twat. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the final note uh, is Caputo comes in while Fig is shoe shopping online, of course. Uh, I did the math. We find out the CEOs start out at getting 38000 a year in upstate New York. Uh, you know, adjusting for cost of cost of living, that is not a whole lot. And, no. you know, might be part of the problem that uh that, that we're having with uh finding good people to do this incredibly difficult job yeah caputo comes out and says it right 18 dollars an hour you get what you get yeah um, and uh she says though don't worry i'm helping you out i found the perfect person and we see the return of porn stash and it's fucking epic he's all <laughs> he's like a, a an evil version of ryan gosling from drive he she he's just oh, all boy. in black with the black leather jacket and the sunglasses and he's there to take back uh this this federal prison it was beautifully shot it, it was, was beautiful the wardrobe was beautiful his the actor's attitude was perfect i mean he, my last note for the show is just 
motherfucking porn stash. Oh yeah, all I, mean, I have left. It's funny because Seppenwall and Feinberg. Uh, they in their critique of this season, they said they really didn't like how everybody else got fully fleshed out, even people like Healy and Caputo. But this guy remains this cartoon villain, and I'm like, good, good. Yeah. I don't really want yeah. a redemption storyline for Porn Stash. Sometimes it's okay to hate a guy who also yeah. can make you laugh because he's so fucking vile. I mean, right? I don't see that's a that's a feature, not a bug when it when it when it comes down to my entertainment choices. Yeah, I think if we knew more about Porn Stash's backstory, we might not hate him as much, and so he's not as fun. Yeah, I don't want to feel any guilt or remorse when no. I laugh at this guy and no. uh, you know take glee at his downfall. I don't, I don't want to know about his sordid childhood or his his problem with his mom or you know growing yeah, yeah, growing up with twelve sisters child, that right. all beat him. I, I don't give a shit. No, I just want to be able to take glee. At at uh, at uh, his being awful and his inevitable comeuppance. That's what I want, and he delivers. I agree completely. I love to hate porn stash. In fact, I would be offended if they tried to redeem him in some way. <laughs> uh, that's it for the episode. Uh, we actually we got this cycle where it seems like every other episode we get a lot of feedback. Um, I don't know whether not having feedback prompts a lot of people into sending feedback, but we got uh. No feedback at all this week. We, I mean, we got a couple oh, no. people saying that they liked it and this and that, but nothing that, you know, actually is something I could read. Uh, I hope I didn't miss any because I'd feel really, really bad if I did. Um, but anyway, um, if you'd like to send us feedback, you can do so at orange at baldmove.com. You can also participate in our show threads on facebook.com slash baldmove. We discuss the shows and also the podcast. That's another good way to leave feedback. You can also... Keep up with all that we're doing on Bald Move by subscribing to the Twitter feed um, at, at Twitter, uh, at Bald Move. Uh, if you'd like to support us, there's a variety of ways to do so. Number one, visit baldmove.com. We've got so much content right now, so much stuff on great television. Uh, and not just that, we are also have got uh, uh, the guys at Personal Arrogance and the girls at the Bacaw Show holding down uh, various pop culture and women's issue and beer geek and board games and all that kind and, and books and, uh, uh, movie reviews. Uh, there's something for everybody, everyone. If you'd like to support us, there's a couple ways you can do so. Go to subbable.com slash bald move where you can exchange, uh, cash into support for bald move and also cool content creation, uh, cu- custom content creation opportunities and bald move memorabilia. You can use our Amazon. Uh, dot com affiliate link using that uh, amazon.baldmove.com the way that works is you use that instead of the regular amazon link it takes it to amazon's page and now everything you buy on that session we get a tiny cut out of jeff bezos wallet and it's a good way to send us your love and affection in the form of amazon affiliate bucks uh finally if you can't do any of that uh please tell a friend or family member or rate and review us on iTunes stuff that helps us grow our audience and uh we love everyone that supports us that way and nothing else thank you for listening and uh for the feedback you do give us always have a hoot Pilani it's uh been great again to have you on the show I'm not sure do you have another episode coming up or will you just be joining us for the postcast because we're gonna have a wrap up a season wrap up too that i want everybody yeah. to come for i'm i'm um delighted to have lucky number 13 on the list Whoa, so that's I, a monster yeah. 
That is that's a that might be a two hour podcast because the damn show I'm is ninety minutes long. So stoked! Yeah, I'm ho- I'm hoping I can actually come record in the studio for that one because I'd love to just see you as we're talking through this because I have a feeling there's going to be some big stuff to chat about. There undoubtedly will be. Uh, until then, uh, give us that uh, blog link one more time if they want to keep uh, follow follow you outside of your uh, bald move endeavors. Oh, sure. Thanks. Um, I'm at diversitynerd.wordpress.com. And I appreciate if you guys want to look at it. You'll learn a little bit about me. Um, there's a lot of stuff around Walking Dead. I was in Atlanta recently and went out to the Termis set and did a couple of tours. And so I talk about that. Yeah, it's a good time. All right. Check that out. And again, thank you so much for joining us and helping us break down this episode. We will see you in a couple of weeks for the finale. Sounds great. All right. Till next time. See ya. Bye-bye, everybody.